So, the big question is this. How are ambitious people like us, who don't have a lot of resources, did not go to Ivy League colleges, were not born into wealth, how do we become resourceful enough? Use our creativity, our dedication, and a little bit of crazy to bootstrap our way to realizing our dreams. Whether it is launching a new company, launching a new app, or making it to the top of the corporate ladder. That is the question. And this podcast will give you the answers. Hello and welcome to this new episode of Bootstrapping Your Dreams Show. I'm your host Manoj Agarwal and today we'll be talking with Jackson Khan. So Jackson is CEO of Khan and Associates, a global advisory firm that helps innovative companies and organizations with strategy, communications and growth. And in the community, Jackson serves as a host of the Ask AI podcast show, a mentor with the Techstars and instructor at the product faculty. He is also an advisor to the Century Initiative and a member of the World Economic Forum. And he has accomplished all that um, while he's only 25 years old. So that's an amazing achievement. Congratulations on that. And uh, with that, welcome, Jackson. Uh, We are excited to have you on our podcast. Thanks so much, Manish. Great to be here. All right, great. So um, you have uh, some specific um, specializations in artificial intelligence. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, to be clear, I'm not, I'm not an engineer or a machine learning scientist. I'll leave that to the super smart people. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I have worked in the last couple of years in the artificial intelligence space. I previously was at a company called Nudge AI, uh, working on leading their marketing and Nudge was a really interesting platform. Um, it's designed to effectively measure all the different relationships that you have as a company by measuring um, thousands of different signals um, and millions of different um, points from across the internet to see what you're up to. Um, and it's, it's meant to help business buyers to better understand, um, or business rather business business companies better understand what their buyers are up to. Mm-hmm. So. I've also been running my own podcast, uh, so it's going to be on yours, but uh, it's called the Ask AI Podcast, mm-hmm. and I interview a lot of different leaders from across the sector, particularly in Canada, to spotlight what we do. So, yeah, very happy to, to be a part of this, this, this community. Um, the other recent research that I've actually put together on artificial intelligence is a partnership with an organization called Springboard, but it's called The Ultimate Guide to Artificial Intelligence and Machine Learning Careers. That's a new ebook. Full of tons of content that's going to be published very soon. Awesome, that's great. So, what is it specifically that you do uh, with the artificial intelligence? Like, do you help companies implement it, or uh, what is what is your specialty? Yeah, right now it's mostly helping companies market um, and do business development around artificial intelligence solutions. I definitely do provide some advisory in terms of product market fit, um, competitive intelligence towards companies. Uh, especially if they're working towards building AI. But a lot of what I do is helping people who already have produced or are producing great AI solutions to make those accessible to a buyer or make those interesting. So a lot of times it's writing, a lot of times it's messaging, positioning, helping people communicate their AI solutions. Mm-hmm. I think as well what's really interesting right now is we've got an opportunity in this space where it's growing fast, but the gap is that people sometimes don't always trust or are always clear as what as to what an artificial intelligence solution actually does. So a lot of my role is helping companies communicate that and helping organizations communicate that so they can effectively sell or bring their solutions to market. That's great. 
And so artificial, uh, artificial intelligence obviously is gaining a lot of traction and it's, uh, uh, you know, it's being talked about um, everywhere. Uh, so what are the, you know, overall high level implications of AI in our lives? Yeah, I mean, I, so a lot of people have compared the advent of artificial intelligence to be akin to that of electricity in terms of the impact that it's going to have on our society. So, I mean, a few examples. I mean, number one, we may find ourselves completely surrounded by AI in, in every part of our lives. And in some ways, we, in many ways, we already are. I mean, you think about um, what's behind many of Google's technologies, um, a lot of what's in mobile, a lot of what's in um, advertising. I mean, already we're, people are looking at yeah. thousands of different signals have built algorithms that are constantly learning. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's really the heart of it is, is learning. So if we have companies, governments, services, and tools and products that actually learn from our behavior and learn from patterns, they can get far better over time and actually be highly personalized to you. Um, another you know, set of massive implications is in the healthcare sector. I mean, imagine that um, from a cancer diagnosis perspective or a drug creation perspective that an AI solution can help make that happen way faster or can bring um, new solutions to market way faster. And, and there's, a, there's a huge opportunity to actually help people um, and, and, and change really what we're all about. I mean, one other thing I would bring up is just simply what it means in terms of automation, um, what it means in terms of the economic implications of the workforce it's very possible that large sections of the workforce, large large sections of roles, for example, like let's say accountants or let's say lawyers, mm -hmm. um, if a lot of those solutions are able to be better better handled, at least at the lower levels or the mid levels, by an AI engine, um, there's definitely going to be a lot of changes in the workforce. Um, so, you know, we've got a lot of things to think about in terms of what this means from a company perspective, what it means from a personal perspective and a career perspective, and also what government needs to do to to help handle and mitigate the changes. Okay, so uh, uh, that was going to be my next question. Like, you know, obviously AI helps uh, in many use cases in many industries uh, to make things better and more efficient. But what are some of the, you know, negative consequences that you can foresee? Like, you know, some people talk about losing tons of jobs and, uh, you know, in some extreme cases, people are, are, are afraid that, you know, AI may take over our lives and, you know, we can, uh, you know, experience some sort of a, a matrix type of uh, a situation where AI sort of uh, takes over humanity. What do you think about those uh, negative, um, uh, you know, as, um, expectations that some people have about AI? Yeah, I mean, I usually fall away from the the, the naysayer or the critical perspective mm -hmm. um, in terms of that it's going to be Terminator and, and everything's yeah. doomed. Um, but but I, at the same time, you know, I am also skeptical of the the huge advocates who just say everything is going to be completely different right away. I think eventually I'm, I do believe that everything is going to be dramatically changed by AI. Right now, though, I think, you know, we, we often underestimate um, what we can do in 10 years and overestimate what's going to happen in one. So, I mean, if we think about 10 years ago um, in terms of where we were and where we are now, I mean, things have dramatically changed. If you even think about Google Brain and how that's been applied to, like Google Translate, for example, and how much more effective it is. Yeah, it's yeah. remarkable um, how, we, how we can go through languages. I mean, in terms of Canada, like, I, I, I like to think it's going to be job, there will be certainly some job loss, but overall the, the trend is instead of going to be job change. Mm -hmm. A lot of predictions actually say that overall because the economy is going to grow, there will be more jobs. They're just going to be different jobs. And so the task for people and companies and governments is 
how do we help people move with this change? How do we help retrain people? How do we help them access new opportunities? How do we help them um, transition from deprecated industries or roles into ones that are in the new economy, are in AI economy? Yeah, for sure. I do agree with you. I mean, uh, I've been working on uh, AI systems for a while and I'm blown away with what they can do. I mean, they're, they're performing better than humans, uh, trained humans in many, many cases. So, uh, and as you said, like, you know, it's just the beginning, like, you know, we haven't even scratched the surface of what uh, these technologies can do. So that's amazing. Oh, completely. Yeah. All right. So you mentioned Canada. Why focus on Canada? You obviously, you live in Colombia, but um, you focus on uh, AI implementations within Canada. So why is that? Yeah, I mean, Canada is my home. I also think Canada uh, is at a really critical point right now in AI and, and tech in general. So we think about Toronto alone. I mean, the CBRE report from 2017 said that we added more jobs. I think it was 29,000. Um, and it was more than San Francisco, D.C., and mm-hmm. Seattle combined. I think that's remarkable in terms of how fast our tech sector is growing. In Canada, we're also the home of some of the top AI research scientists in the world, including Jeffrey Hinton um, or including um, Yashua Bengio, as well as the Vector Institute, which has received hundreds of millions of dollars um, in funding, um, has some of the top people in the world. We've seen companies from all around the world, Facebook, Microsoft, Google, all invest in AI-based uh, AI-focused research centers, often based in Toronto, uh, Montreal, and it's it's really just remarkable to see the amount of investment and talent mm-hmm. uh, that exists in Canada right now. So I always want to have a connection to Canada because it's my home, and you know I won't I won't doubt that I will live there again and in the future. And and at the same time that we're seeing an AI boom in Canada, you know we're also seeing an increase in Canada's profile around the world. Uh, a lot of people are seeing Canada as a very stable very good country um, in, you know, difficult world times, whether it's through our vibrant multiculturalism, um, our focus on diversity, our focus on being a peaceful nation. Yeah. Um, and so I think there's a lot to respect about Canada and I, and I believe that the world needs more Canada. Yeah, that's for sure. I agree. I mean, uh, Canada's home for me as well. So I could not uh, agree with you. more. Um, uh, so uh, do you say that, uh, do, do you feel that, um, Canada is sort of at the forefront of uh, this AI uh, research and development. I mean, obviously, there's a huge presence in other countries as well, particularly in, in Silicon Valley in the uh, USA. But um, how, where do you think Canada stands in this race? Yeah, I mean, you know, on one hand, I want to be positive and say that we're absolutely leading it, but it's just not true. I mean, one, one thing that's concerning is our patents in the field have actually dropped over the last few years, despite it going up in the other major areas. One of these reasons is probably because major companies, especially U.S. companies, are moving in and hiring Canadian researchers, mm-hmm. um, which I suppose is good for the researchers, but I guess as a country, we're not doing a lot to protect our IP. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's something that we need to think about is, you know, does Canada actually own our advances in artificial intelligence? The other piece that's concerning is most recently the Ontario government under um, Premier Doug Ford and his cabinet have recently decided to cancel their planned investments um, into artificial intelligence, including into Mars and the Vector Institute. So we need to have consistent government support and we need to expand our government support both at the provincial, federal, and also the municipal levels if we're gonna to continue to, to grow. Um, we also need to have thoughtful conversations with our own companies and our governments about how do we have, um, how do we maintain IP or how do we grow uh, built in Canada for Canada IP. And so I think there's a lot to think about in terms of you know, where do we really stand on a global AI race? How does Canada continue to be a leader because I think that we do have a chance to be a great, great leader, especially given that we have such a good culture of good governance as a country, and as the conversation of ethics in AI uh, is critically important, we, we do have a chance, we just gotta take it. 
Okay, cool. Um, and so, you know, we have a lot of uh, young entrepreneurs and professionals in the audience. And uh, let's say if somebody wants to start an AI-focused uh, business, or maybe they already have an existing business and they want to incorporate uh, AI into their business, like what, what are some of the uh, key pieces of advice you will give them? Yeah, I mean, first, the first piece of advice is even ask if you need AI at all. Um, a lot of people are just like, okay, this is a wonder, miracle, drug, cure-all solution, but it's not, right? Like there's a lot of ways and, and, and times and reasons that, you know, a simple logic-based approach is, is often going to be not, uh, all that you need to actually get something done. Yeah. Um, it's actually more efficient. Um, having a long conversation with a friend who, who's a machine learning product manager at Microsoft about this recently. Um, if you do want to get started, though, I mean, Honestly, from an engineering perspective, I'm not the best guy to tell you. I think one of the best ways to get involved early is to get involved in the AI community. Um, find an AI meetup in your city, um, get involved, see what people are actually doing in practice. Um, I would also try and take a course if you haven't already. Um, there's courses like the Deep Learning AI course offered through Coursera uh, from Andrew Ng, who's a leader in AI. Um, there's a course offered through Springboard, which is their AI um, training course. So if you don't have enough education at the top already, that's a great way to do it. If you just want to get started and just start doing some basic things, I mean, there's tons of resources and places online, whether that's like with Google's TensorFlow or starting up something with like AWS or, or just using um, any number of tools to, to create some basic models and, um, and get going. Um, try and there's tons of free training data sets online. So I would take a look at that first, um, depending on what problem that you're trying to solve with your business. Um, there's also a lot of different um, guides and solutions on to how can you think critically about the problem that you're trying to solve and then see if you can model some AI or try and train some data and see if it's relevant in your happen. Um, a couple of different other places I would suggest looking uh, to learn more about this are, there's a blog called Towards Data Science mm -hmm. and there's another one called Machine Learning Mastery and those both have great examples of, of how you can get started. There was also a great medium, uh, medium post that I was reading just the other day which was like a basic image classifier model and you know those are all easy ways to get started yeah awesome that's great and so did i get that right that you don't have a technical background no i don't i don't have a strong technical background okay so uh, the point i was trying to make is uh, you know to the audience is that you can get started in this high tech industry even without a lot of technical knowledge so you know um, what jackson suggested was use those resources to get an initial um, you know, education and, and understand the landscape and then work your way, way from there because you can always collaborate with, um, with scientists and data, sci data scientists and engineers who specialize in these fields. Is that, is that right? I think it's easier than ever to get started. And even if you're coming from a mostly non-technical background like me, like I don't have a degree in um, computer science, but there's still definitely ways to, to get involved in the industry and to, to potentially make your own models. Um, I know many people who don't have strong technical backgrounds who are currently running AI companies. Um, so there's no reason that you can't get started. That's awesome, that's great. Um, so what are uh, some of the implications? We, we talked about Canada, but what about um, some of the uh, you know, emerging economies like uh, China, India, Brazil? Um, well, China is not uh, emerging tech, uh, economy, like they are a superpower, but some of the other uh, developing countries, uh, what are the implications for for those countries uh, with AI? Yeah, I mean, I mean, they're both good and bad. I mean, for one, like take, take China, for example, like pretty big concerns there given that they're using AI and facial recognition to um, basically have a surveillance state and track 
thousands and millions of people, um, particularly of a Muslim uh, minority, and keep them in concentration camps. Mm -hmm. So there's huge, huge potential issues. On the other side, I mean, China has their Made in China, I believe it's 2025 initiative, which says that China wants to be the world leader in artificial intelligence. Um, I believe it's also um, like self-driving cars. Um, I believe also space. Um, they, they basically looked at every kind of major um, technological area of blockchain as well and said that they want to own it. So I think, you know, Canada and the United States and Europe, I mean, we, we need to ask ourselves, you know, what is, what is a, what is a, you know, a Chinese superpower look like if it's leading with AI? Um, some people even suggest that the first country to um, create an artificial, what they call a general intelligence, yeah, yeah. Um, will be the ruler of the future. So definitely something to think about. I, I highlight China particularly there because they made such tremendous investments um, in their in their research. I believe like I believe like it was in the billions, even potentially hundreds of billions of dollars yeah. um, in terms of AI over the next decade. Um, so definitely something to watch. In terms of India, in terms of other uh, developing countries more generally, I mean, I think there are huge opportunities to to improve society. Um, I mean, India is the largest democracy in the world. Um, I think there's a lot of opportunities that they can use um, to lift their society out of poverty. It's very possible that AI is going to allow countries like this to potentially leapfrog entire areas of the economy. Like, imagine if you can just leap past um, with your tech companies or you know with your banks huge areas of, um, you know, industry that had to occur in, in North America. But if you can just immediately jump into highly personalized, highly effective services, whether for citizens or whether for customers, I think there's huge opportunities to, to serve your populations. That's great. Um, all right. So uh, you help uh, companies who have who are looking at incorporating AI into their business stack. So how did you come about? Uh, how did you come up with this idea for launching your own company? Yeah, so my, my goal this year was to go and spend a year um, living around the world, uh, particularly in South America. So I decided that launching my own company was something that I absolutely had the skills and the experience to do. Um, I particularly have a lot of experience in helping companies, technical companies, to communicate their visions, uh, particularly in the subsets of AI, digital education, and financial technology. Mm-hmm. So I have a few clients. Um, they're based around the world, whether that's in San Francisco, Toronto, or London. And I am able to work with them from here. Um, I definitely love... My business, one of the cool things that we do at Cognitive Associates, um, my team and I both commit to, um, we all commit to um, spending 50% of our time um, working with nonprofits or working pro bono. So that's one of the things that I think that we can do. Um, we offer premium services, which allows us to then take that extra time, take that extra money um, to, to actually put it out back into the world. And so it's a model that I'm experimenting with. Um, right now, you know, to be clear, like we're very much still a small shop. It's often me and just a few contractors working on any anyone or any few projects. Um, but having just started a few months ago, I feel good about what we're doing. I feel good about the services that we offer and the clients that we have. And I feel like we're making a big difference as well in the communities that we reside in with our pro bono work. Yeah, that's, uh, that's very inspiring that you're doing some uh, pro bono work for nonprofits. That's awesome. Um, so how, how do you get your clients, um, the, the clients that you have, and how are you, how are you uh, sort of you know, reinventing your marketing and sales strategy to acquire more clients. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to be honest, we're, we're a small-scale startup at this point, but we typically I haven't done a lot of outbound business development. I've done a lot of sales. Like a lot of times people have come to me or been referred to me. So there's a lot of networking. I do a lot of time on LinkedIn to build my brand. Um, I, I have a lot of good work to showcase. And so I think if you do good work, I tend to think 
good work comes to you. Um, so it's a self-fulfilling cycle. I see. That's great. Great advice. Um, so did you, um, you said that you, uh, you know, you have the skills to launch and run a company. Where did you acquire those skills? Were you um, a startup founder before this or did you work in another startup? Yeah, I've, I've, I've helped either found or, or been a key employee at early startups before. Um, I've also co-founded a couple different nonprofit organizations over the years. My, I think my main experience that I've had in the last two, three, four years has been working with other startup founders quite closely, um, often the CEO, uh, the CTO directly, and being able to learn from them has been fantastic. Particularly my last company, um, I had an excellent CEO, an excellent CTO, Paul and Steve. Um, they previously helped to exit a company for a billion dollars built it up to $100 million in recurring revenue. So they really know their stuff. And so I was able to work with them very closely and help them um, as well as to help learn uh, to learn from them quite, quite a bit about how to actually work in this market. That's awesome. And so when you decided to launch your own company, did you have to unlearn any lessons that you picked up while, you're, while you were working with other CEOs? <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe sometimes. I'd say one is, I think I'm worth even more than I, I thought I was, <laughs> than I was being paid. Um, so I, I definitely increased my rates, which is one I'd say to any freelancer who's worried about increasing their rates, um, definitely just go for it. I often talk to a lot of my, my female friends too in tech as well, and I think they constantly undervalue themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that I'm proud to be doing at Con Associates is, is working um, with some fantastic female contractors and writers, and um, I particularly help them to increase their rates, and that's something that I enjoy doing. Um, something else I would say is like, you don't always have to worry about saying, saying no, like even early on, like sometimes it's just not the right client. Um, and sometimes it's not the right fit with the client and it's better to just test out an engagement really quickly with someone before you commit. Um, sometimes I think, you know, I get, I get attached to my founders, big ideas about something, um, or my own big ideas. And I guess what I've been trying to do recently is instead of just having big ideas, I've been trying to have good ideas that help people and execute on those. And if they work out well the first time, then try and grow those and make them bigger. That's great. So, so you mentioned, uh, you know, you worked with the uh, nonprofits and you uh, started uh, some of your own nonprofit. Uh, so why is uh, giving back to the society so important to you? It's really important to news because I'm a super lucky guy. I come from a great middle-class family in Canada. Uh, I have great parents, great family. Um, amazing friends. I've been given every opportunity in life. Um, there's, there's no reason not to. I just feel like that is like, there's just no alternative. <laughs> wow. Um, that's great. Uh, but do you think it has, I mean, giving uh, your time and energy and resources back, uh, has it contributed to your growth and you to your business growth? Oh, I'd say, I'd say the most. I mean, a lot of times when you meet people in the nonprofit circles or, or through community work, people often say that's, that's when you actually meet friends. That's when you meet people who become future business partners. Um, there's a lot of like-minded people. I think that most successful people in business invariably give back to the communities that they're part of because most people come from nothing. We also know that most entrepreneurs, most successful businesses are founded by immigrants. Immigrants traditionally and very often are people coming with not a lot. Yeah. Um, and so I think when you come from very little and typically that you are, you often know what it's like. And so you do want to get back. Yeah. Well said. Um, so uh, you are currently in Colombia. Are you on, uh, are you traveling or you're vol- volunteering there or uh, are you just sort of traveling around the world as, as you put it earlier? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I was traveling in particular for the last um, several months. Within Colombia, though, the last two months, I've been more properly living here. Um, I won't live here for more than 180 days a year at this point, and which for me, it'll take me till most of the end of the year. Um, at that point, I'll, I'll do a bit more traveling, and I'm going to decide if I want to live here more in the future, or potentially I might think about living in Africa, I might live in Europe. I'm not sure yet. I, I'm basically just taking this time uh, being 25 years old to live around the world uh, before I'm married, before I have kids, or before uh, you know I'm, I'm more rooted. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So um, are you continuing to work with your clients as you're traveling around the world? How does that work? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think one thing that people think about when you're traveling is like, oh, it has to be really fast. You're going to do everything. Well, I just change your time scale. Like for me, it's like I move here and I try and do one cool thing a day or, you know, a couple cool things on the weekend uh, to explore the city. But the rest of the time, I mean, I'm just living here. I'm learning Spanish. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm volunteering. I'm being a part of the community. I'm making friends. Um, and it just gives, you know, if you give yourself time to really explore and immerse in another culture, I think that's a way to feel closer to it. And that's a, that's a way to really travel, really live around the world. That's great. So uh, will you say you actually designed this life, uh, you know, along with your entrepreneurial uh, uh, setup and business uh, and uh, your passion for travel? Did you design it that way or it just happened uh, on its own? Uh, I mean, I would say I, I was very intentional about wanting to find a way to live abroad while also uh, making money and while also volunteering. Yeah. That being said, in terms of how things kind of came together, I'd say <laughs> a lot of that's a combination of luck um, as, as putting in intentional time into building relationships. Yeah. I think a lot of times what really saves you uh, when you're starting a business is already having relationships in place, already having networks. Um, I've been doing work from everyone to old contacts, uh, to old friends, to old bosses, um, to, you know, to new people I've just randomly met along, along the way. Uh, and so all, all I can say is, you know, if you do want to found a business in the future, you don't have to come up with the business idea right now, but what you do have to come up with now is the relationships because those will help you so much in the future in ways you won't even be able to predict. Awesome. That's great advice. So how do you, um, how do you go about um, building those relationships? Any strategies or tactics you use? that you can share with the audience today? Yeah, I mean, I've written about this before, and if you ever want to look about it, uh, it's an article about how to build relationships, and uh, you just search that in my name. Um, to give you a couple quick tips, like one is make a list. Like, it sounds stupid, but I have a list of like the top kind of 20 people in my life, and then I have another list of the top 100 contacts, mm -hmm. uh, business contacts in my life. and. I, I use Nudge AI, which of course, you know, is, is the last company I worked at, but I genuinely believe in what Nudge does in terms of it reminds you and it nudges you to keep those relationships warm. Mm -hmm. um, keeping relationships warm is one of the best things that you can do in business. Um, it allows you um, to, to uh, you know, effectively like have those relationships at the ready whenever you need them. Um, so for me, like I, I constantly am like looking to keep in touch um, when I want to make new relationships, I find ways to provide value to people, whether that's writing an article about them or sending them links or resources or making introductions for them. Um, it's all, it's all a cycle, um, definitely a giving back. And I think, you know, I've often, I've often heard from this, there's, there's a great woman named Jill Rowley in, in the business, to, business, the business space. And, you know, she says, give to give, um, not just give to get like give and give. Um, cause you don't even know when it's going to come back. And, don't just do things transactionally because people will appreciate it way more and it will feel a lot more, um, it'll feel a lot more sincere because it is. Yeah, for sure. That's for sure. 
Um, all right, let's uh, talk about some mistakes. Uh, have you made any and uh, how did you overcome them? No, I've made no mistakes in my entire life. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I've made loads. I mean, I say all the time, like, you know, some of my biggest regrets are times when, if I can be honest, I wasn't as, as, wasn't as kind with people as I should have been, um, or I was aggressive, or I was um, unempathetic. Um, I think one of the biggest things that I am, and I think, you know, many people, and I, I probably argue, especially men <laughs> in the world need to, need to think about is, um, how do we be more humble? Um, how do we be more respectful? Um, how do we be more empathetic? Um, it's something that I continue to work on. Um, I think, I think some of the biggest mistakes I've made in my life, um, have been due to my own personal anxieties and insecurities. Yeah. So for example, um, when I was coming out of school, I decided to, um, leave a, a job offer that I'd actually had with a, a prestigious management consulting firm. Um, and I instead joined a startup, um, cause I want to take a big risk and I joined it. Uh, with a big mentor of mine, uh, someone I, I really respect a lot. Um, I think he's a fantastic guy. You know, we're still friends. What happened though was, you know, even though we worked on it together for about a year, um, towards the end, like it just wasn't quite working out. Um, weren't seeing eye to eye. Um, had stresses about the company. Things were coming through. And I think at that time, you know, I felt like I let him down. I felt like he let me down. It just, you know, it just wasn't working, right? But I think if I had taken more time, and maybe if he had taken more time, we both had come together to really figure out you know, where are we actually at? How do we help make this the right fit? Um, how do we help develop each other? Um, and, and sometimes I think, you know, albeit we were both good people and just trying to, just trying to get through. And sometimes it is hard. Like sometimes things just don't work out and that's okay. Um, the point is how do you make sure that you still treat each other as, as human beings um, and make sure that you're kind to each other? Um, I think, I think, you know, one of the regrets that I've had in my life has been, you know, either, even through university and through high school, like, you know, it could be 10 plus years ago, um, having a relationship with someone not go well or having a friendship and um, about New Year's, I think it was last year, I made a decision that I was going to reach out to five people that um, I had ended relationships with or ended friendships with. And, you know, I reached out to most of those people and most of those people eventually we, we've now become friends again or, or you know, I've accepted um, apologies and we've you know kind of come to terms and I think that kind of continuous reconciliation in your life is one of the things that that's something you won't regret because even if you can't get a friendship back or even if it's not right uh, or even if you can't get a business relationship back at least you try um, and at least you know that you've done your best to improve as a human being. That's great. Uh, seems like you've had a tremendous amount of uh, growth in the past few years so congratulations on that. Thank you very much I really appreciate that. All right, great. So um, now before I let you go, can you tell us how people can reach you? Um, uh, tell us about your company, your website. Yeah, of course. My personal website is jacksoncon.com. If I can be honest, I haven't updated in years and I got to do that better. <laughs> if you really want to find me, um, check out my LinkedIn, which is just Jackson. My name is J-A-X-S-O-N. Uh, I should be the first result. Um, and, you know, shoot me a message if you ever want to talk. Uh, it's also got some of my recent work on there if you're interested in working together. Um, on some proactive messaging for your technology company. Awesome. That's great. Uh, thank you so much, Jackson, for being with us today. And uh, uh, definitely the audience got a lot of value and uh, learned a lot about AI. Thank you very much. I'm very grateful and uh, happy to talk today. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks. And now, if you are an existing or an aspiring technology entrepreneur, then I invite you to check out my new online workshop, Bootstrapping Your Tech Startup Dreams. Go to go.tetranoodle.com slash boot hyphen podcast and sign up for free.
I want to make sure more successful and sound decisions are made every day in your tech projects. Let's start finding solutions to your problems. So go to go.tetranoodle.com slash boot hyphen podcast and I look forward to helping you with your tech startup. <laughs>